the end of a matter, says the teacher and Ecclesiastes, is far more important than its beginning. The end of a matter is far more important than its beginning. I've heard a similar thing uttered by a wise businessman in our congregation who gave one of our elder sons advice at one point when he was thinking of changing careers, and he told him this, it's far more important how you leave this present job than how you take your next one. The way you end a thing is far more important than how you begin a thing. And the reason I'm saying that is because today we have a great opportunity as a church. An opportunity to stand back and to celebrate the fact that some of our baptized children have had what was signified in that baptism come true on them. The Spirit of God has awakened them, enlivened them, moved them to walk in His ways, and they are here today to make public profession of their faith. They will take the Lord's Supper together with us. That's why we're having a special Lord's Supper. And selfishly, because I was involved in the teaching of this class and interviewing with all these children, I wanted to do it before I left. So you have to take communion more than once in April. Sorry. It's a gift, though. It's a gift from the Lord But I want to remind us as we're taking these children in and as we're reflecting on our own lives as followers and recipients of Jesus' grace that the end of a matter is far more important than its beginning because in evangelical circles, in Christian world, we sometimes get confused about this. We sometimes think that the beginning of a matter is far more important than its end. Let me tell you how this is the case for you. There are some here I know this because over these last 11 years, I've gotten to sit in scores and scores of interviews with potential members, and I've heard them tell the story of how they came to know and be known by their Savior. And here is something I've noticed. There is among Christian people almost a kind of embarrassment when they start to tell this because so many people, and I get the vantage point of seeing them, you don't. So many people have such a remarkably boring testimony, so they think. It's because they don't really believe the truth about what's said about them. They don't really believe all the magnificent things that have gone on behind the surface. But the way it sort of works itself out in the details of their lives is, I grew up in this home with these crazy people who love Jesus. And they talked about him, and they took us to church, and we breathed in the air of this grace, and it's all I've ever known. He's, well, he's never been stranger to me. He's always been the one I trusted and relied on that I've always come to. And people say these stories with a little bit of sheepishness. That's a lot of issues. With a little bit of sheepishness, a little bit of... I couldn't say it again even though I tried, so you understand what I'm saying. There's a little modesty, embarrassment, like something's wrong because the stories that we like to hear, the stories that get pasted front and center at the youth camps when you're in middle school, are the people who used to be into some freaky stuff. I used to live 
in a cave with dragons. I used to murder helpless kittens. I used to smoke things that you didn't even know existed. And then one day, I was stoned out of my gourd, dude. And Jesus showed up in my room. And he tapped me on the shoulder like so. And said, what are you doing? And I was ravished. I was in love with Jesus and I've, I turned my back on all that forever and ever. And those are the stories you hear. And so you think, my story ain't no good. Maybe it ain't even true. Well, I'm here to say, the end of a matter is far more important than its beginning. And when the scriptures talk about God's people, they don't ordinarily talk a whole lot about how it all started. But they do remind us what was behind the start of it so that we can have confidence to see us through to the end of it. But the thing the Bible is always concerned about is that we make it to the end. That we don't wear out. That we don't fade out. That our energy toward God doesn't dissipate. That our loyalty doesn't fade away. Paul says, He will keep you strong to the end. So that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God who has called you into fellowship with His Son Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful. He will keep you strong to the end. That's what Paul's looking forward to. As you eagerly await for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed, the New Testament is always saying, endure. Hang on for the long haul. That's why I'm always a little bit suspicious, even more suspiciouser, if that's a word, than I ought to be with great spiritual enthusiasm. I think spiritual enthusiasm is fantastic. But I want to see if it lasts more than five minutes, or five days, or five months. Because the New Testament says the real stuff will get you through all the days until the day. The happy day for the people who have been summoned, adored, and who are expectant for this Lord who somehow or another is going to inspect us and because of His work for us is going to say, I'm so happy to see you. Welcome, welcome, welcome. That's what I'm waiting for. That's what I want us to be waiting for. If we get too preoccupied with how we started... We're going to be a little bit like people who go around talking about their birthday all the time. Now, if it was a kid, you'd, eh, okay. I'm seven and a half. I'm three and three quarters. But if you met some dude who was constantly telling you that he was born on January the 11th, 1944, you'd be like, why are you always telling me that, man? Why are you always telling me about the day of your birth? Great! So you were born. Lots of people have been born. The thing is, is to keep living. And the Bible gives us a way to live for the long haul. Because as I've told these children who are joining our membership today, and I'm reminding all of us, walking with Jesus is a life of joy and a life of disorientation. It's a life of 
getting summoned and swept up into a story that's far bigger than we ever imagined, but it's also a story that involves many perilous and frightful dark nights that are confusing, that are sorrowful, that are lonely. If you've read church history at all, you realize the more people, the longer people walk with our Savior, they generally don't get more cool tricks, they get less. The life of faith depends more and more on things unseen for them. And that's why I'm here today to say, I want us to be a people who think about a theology of the long haul. I was always told when I was in college, I've always had trouble with this. I can remember a professor sitting me down at the end of exhaustion. I've liked to achieve things. I did not like to sleep much. Well, I liked it, but I just didn't. And I was always busy. And he reminded me, Mr. Youngblood, he always called me Mr. Youngblood since I was 21. Life is a marathon, not a sprint. Life is a marathon, not a sprint. I didn't believe him. But it is. It's part of the gift of why you guys are letting me take a time of refreshment. Because life's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Life with the Lord is a marathon, so there's time for us to rest. There's time for us to get rejuvenated. And it's valid and important for us to see this. For you young people who are about to graduate college or in college right now, if you don't have this embedded in you, the sense that we're in for a long haul, you know what you'll do? You'll be scornful of those who've gone before you. You'll call them, they're complacent. I don't want a dead, lifeless marriage like them. And never mind, they've been married for 47 years. That counts! If somebody's been married for 47 years, whatever you think about their relationship, if they have not killed each other, that is something. You ought to take note of it. Be a student of it. One of our elders recently showed me an article in Table Talk about a young guy. You see, young guys can say bad things about their own generations, kind of like you can... You don't want anybody to say anything about your mama, but you might. And he said, my generation is prone to radicalism without follow-through. My generation is here to tell you we're here to change the world, but we really haven't done anything yet. We hadn't done our time. We hadn't put in the hours. We haven't plotted along. And it's the same thing that Eugene Peterson writes about in his book called A Long Obedience. He captures this phrase from Frederick Nietzsche, or if I was more academic, that's Nietzsche, who says this, the important thing in heaven and on earth is that there should be a long obedience in the same direction. Peterson captured that and Christianized it and said, this is a good picture of our lives as followers of Jesus The end of the matter is far more important than what we need as disciples. There aren't any shortcuts. There aren't quick fixes. It's a long obedience in the same direction. So how can you keep at it for a long time? Because it's hard. Because it's discouraging. Because it's wearisome. How can you keep at it? And I think Paul gives us some ways to do that as we listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians. Just at the outset. One thing is we have to remember. We have to remember that God's evaluation is more important than ours. 
Let me ask you this. What would you call a group of people who are fighting all the time? Who are always slandering each other in private conversations? They had factions. One dude was like, man, Andy Stanley is so awesome. Why can't they start an Andy Stanley church on the back of Lookout Mountain? And one guy was like, Andy Stanley's a lightweight. I go, and you, you see where we're going here. People are following different famous people, influential people. What if they were, they were always fighting? What if they had a sort of sexual perversion going on in their midst that, was, that kind of made Hugh Hefner blush? And, and, and to boot, they were kind of indifferent to the poor. They were, they were constantly embarrassing poor people. They didn't care. And they, <laughs> they realized, like Jay Crow said, that they had this uh, limitation of character that involved them not liking to be told to do anything by anyone. They had an authority problem. They didn't like to listen to anybody telling them something to do that they didn't want to do. And when they had their gatherings, it was a chaotic mess. If you met a group of people like that, what would you call them? Here's what the Apostle Paul calls them. The church of God in Corinth. Those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy. Sanctified just means they just, God decided to say, you people... You unremarkable people are going to be my remarkable people. You're going to be set apart. You're going to be mine. And the thing that makes you special is because I said of you, mine. That's it. It wasn't how brawny you were. It wasn't how intelligent. It wasn't how righteous. It wasn't how polished your teeth were. It's just because I said mine. Paul says to a group of people like this who are fighting, who are sexually immoral, who have all kinds of damaged relationships, who when they take the Lord's Supper create more harm than good, who won't support the saints in Jerusalem with an offering for the poor, he is saying to these people at the outset, even though he's going to correct them, he's saying, you are God's people who don't lack anything, who have been called into fellowship. You've been desired by God. You've been commissioned. You've been privileged. You're God's. Now, do you realize how that could be helpful to believe? How that could be helpful for you on this day to remember in a long-haul kind of way? Well, it could be helpful to remember for yourself because it could free you from constantly taking your spiritual temperature, which well-meaning people have told you to do. Stop it. Stop looking at your own spirituality. Stop constantly gauging and trying to figure out if you're growing enough or if you believe enough or if you love enough or if you praise enough or if you give enough. Or Stop it. Spend some time remembering what God says through Paul to this church and then apply it to yourself. You're called by God to be His set-apart people. Sit in that for a little while. God's evaluation of things is frequently different from yours. Here's what your constant mistake is going to be, a lot of you. You're going to have a lot of self-abhorrence within, some of you. Or it'll be directed to other people. 
you will assume when you start having strong inner impressions of condemnation, of guilt, these inner voices, these inner high school football coaches telling you you haven't given enough effort. Young blood, what are you doing? I've heard this before with the face in my face mask. You will assume as you hear these voices, well, my inner voice must be God's inner voice. I must be merely mimicking what God is saying. And I'm here to tell you, you should be deeply suspicious of thinking that. If that's what you're hearing. Because Paul says, by the authority given him as an apostle, called by the will of God to communicate the glad tidings of God. That even people who are deep disappointments to themselves and others, their main thing is that they belong to the God who wants them. If that doesn't characterize you sometime, you won't be able to go long. You won't be able to have a theology of the long haul because anybody who stays at this for long becomes a grave disappointment to themselves and to others. Anybody who stays at this Jesus thing for very long starts to realize, this is hard! Anybody who hangs out in the Bible for very long starts to realize, I'm not carrying out any of this stuff, we're the flip! Anybody who tries really hard to be really obedient and really radical realize it really fast. You're a spiritual dunce. And so then you have a choice. You can quit. It's too hard. I'm a loser, baby. God, why don't you kill me? That's a song. Or, you could reduce all of God's requirements into the more manageable ones that you can keep. And you could become the silent, searing assassin of all them Christians out there who don't live up. Eaten up with bitterness and eaten up with judgment. But if you want to be in this for the long haul, see that, that, that resentment will be like an acid on your soul. And the despair, the overwhelming feeling of being a failure will just make you quit. But if you believe that every single day you're going to know some very true-seeming things about yourself, and at the same time God says, I've taken care of that because you've been called into communion, fellowship with my Son, and you are one with Him, and so His goodness spreads to you like a good virus. And your badness has been drained out in my evaluation, and that's that. So believe it. And live like it's true and stop taking your spiritual temperature all the time. Remember, if you want to make it for the long haul, the second thing is you've got to realize the value of request. They're all ours today. It's unusual for me. Remember, request. Here's what Paul says. I always thank God for you because of His grace given you. For in Him you've been enriched in every way in all your speaking and all your knowledge because our testimony about Christ was confirmed to you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await for our Lord to be revealed. Paul has this keen sense. So informed of this sense is he that he can summarize his mission on the planet as testifying to God's grace. Can any of the children who have been in my class tell me another word for grace? I'm putting them on the spot and showing myself to be a bad teacher. Anyone? Hey, AJ Dorsis. 
You win the prize. 500 points. Gift. Grace means gift. It's a gift. Paul's contention is that people like us receive things from someone like God because He determines to give us things. He hands them over to us freely. It's not because somehow or another we've warranted them or somehow or another we've been good enough to elicit His interest to give them to us. It's just that that's what He does. He gives things. He equips us. He resources us. And you, if you believe that He's a God like that who loves to give, who out of the gloriousness of His riches would like to resource you in all the ways that you presently feel deficit, whether that's materially, whether that's emotionally, whether that's mentally, whether that's relationally, in every single place where you feel lack, there's gifting for you. From the God who loves to give gifts to people who are not worthy to receive them. The Fairland Festival the other night, Kathy was running a booth, and I was her tag-along, trying not to mess things up. And we had the great privilege, 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 of standing alongside the karaoke booth, where we had the extraordinary privilege of hearing a great number of 8- to 11-year-old girls singing Adele songs for four hours. So we were listening to Rolling in the Deep. I don't. And I got to hear some young guys moving like Jagger. I got the moves like Jagger. Woo. We got to listen to these things. We got to appropriate them and be changed by them. And at one kind moment, one of you came here. I won't embarrass anyone, but one of our fathers in the congregation came up to me with his daughter, and we were talking. And he had within his hand the currency of joy at the Fairland Festival called a ticket. A little yellow ticket. Because these tickets get you things. These tickets get you candies and fake casts on your arms and plastic things that may break before you get to the car. And his daughter was standing there and she was, as all children at that festival doing, jonesing for another ticket. More tickets, please. And he said, your brother's going to get awfully mad at me. Because all the tickets he had were for his other children. But they weren't there. She was there. And we, together, realized, this is a spiritual lesson you have not because you ask not. She's here asking. They're not asking. They're not here. She got the tickets. I don't know if she got all of them if I just caused the family dispute. Forgive each other as you've been forgiven. (laughs) But you know, if you're going to make it on the long haul, you really do have to believe that God is favorably disposed towards you. And you have to be like little children. And if you haven't been around enough children, some of you think you need to get away from children. But if you haven't been around them enough, you realize the one thing that they have an extraordinary propensity to do is just to keep on asking for things. I mean, really, without self-reflection, without worry that they're impinging or hurting the relationship, they don't care. They just ask. 
Because they know that their capacity to ask you far exceeds your ability to withstand their requests. (laughs) You will erode in your determination to say no if they ask long enough. Charles Spurgeon said the rule of the kingdom is asking. If we're a people who exist on the freeness of God's handing over things that we need, we constantly need Him to resource us. So the way you do the long haul with Jesus... The way you keep loving a man called your husband who seems entirely unlovable to you and unresponsive to you in all the ways he ought to be. The way that you continue at a job to be a faithful witness to Christ and the way you carry out your work, the way you keep at it with children, the way you keep at it with anything hard, even your disappointment with sins that you can't get away from. As you keep running back to the one who has established your whole being with Him based on His kindness and generosity. Ask. The rule of the kingdom is asking. Ask. Do you need more resources? Do you need a filling of Christ in you? Do you need more power? Do you need more resolve? Do you need more love? Do you need more money? Do you need more kindness? Do you need more forgiveness? Ask. To the God who gives gifts who spiritually enriches you in every way and finds no fault. But when we ask, we must believe. Remember, request, and lastly this. If you're going to make it for the long haul, you've got to realize that you're a responder. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, who has called you into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful. God has called you into fellowship. A lot of the things that we believe theologically kind of fit together in a kind of puzzle. If you really believe yourself to be someone with a deep God allergy and you start to have some interest in Him, you start to think about even whether what I'm doing is pleasing to Him. You start to be awakened to the fact that, oh gosh, I might be doing something that's not pleasant to God. I wonder how God feels about me. All the kinds of wonderings that you have about God, all the kinds of desires that are awakened in you, all the kinds of interests that you have in Him are good news to you on this long journey. Because every single one of them, every single one of them has been preceded by His activity on you and for you. It's very important to believe that. It's very important to believe that there is not a time when you will call him, as happened to me, when I was a 15-year-old boy, there was this girl. Her name was Kathy Smith. Woo! And, sorry, Kathy. And I had an interest in this girl. And being a suave and sophisticated and courageous 15-year-old boy or 14 or 12 or 9 or whatever I was. I asked my friend and hers, Preston. I said, hey, Preston, do you think you could call Kathy and ask Kathy if I could call Kathy? All right. That's a smooth move right there, guys. (laughs) Write that one down. That's a move for the ages. So, so, So Preston, my friend who went to school with Kathy, she... She happily obliged, and she went, apparently. And she said to Kathy, Hey, Kathy, Eric wants to call you. Would that be okay? 
And here's the response that every pining young man wants to hear. Who's Eric? Hmm. It got straightened out. And she's like, oh, that Eric. Uh Uh-huh, no. It got straightened out, but you see, it's a bad thing if you're thinking about somebody and you call them and they're like, I don't have any idea who you are. But the way God sets this thing up is like, if you call on him, when you have an interest in him, he's not saying, uh, who, who is this? He's saying, you wouldn't have thought to call me. You wouldn't have known my number if I hadn't have wanted you to know my number. If I hadn't wanted you first. That's why C.S. Lewis has helped me so much when he, in one of his letters to Sheldon Van Aken, a young Oxford student who wrote a book, you may have seen it, called Severe Mercy or Under the Mercy. And he was an atheist. He was an academic. And he started to find himself wondering about all this Jesus stuff. And at one point, he's corresponding with C.S. Lewis. And Lewis writes him back and says, Proceed in earnest. You would not be wanting him if he were not first wanting you. Some of you need badly to believe that dynamic. Because it means instead of you coming and thinking, I'm such a disappointment, God, don't kill me, realizing I'm coming because He's summoned me, because He's magnetically drawn me, because the Scriptures say no one can come to the Father unless the Father draws Him. What happy news that is as you come to Him. What happy news that is was when you start to wonder how you fare in Christ's eyes to start to realize that you're a responder. He's the initiator every single time. He's the one who has called you into fellowship with His Son. And so any overture that you're offering to Him is because He overtured first. Jesus tells His disciples, I didn't, you didn't choose me, I chose you and appointed you to bear fruit. I can't think of a thing that's been more helpful to me. But that's just because I know what a colossal disappointment I am as a pastor, as a Christian, as a husband, as a father, as a person. And I know that I go to a God like you go to a God should you keep responding who has wanted you first whose desire for you has affected all your desires for Him. So any movement Godward in me is such an indication for gladness because I know it was all preceded by his first wanting of me. Let's pray.